Turn to my clock, and you know me, I'll run out of time anyway, so we're going to get going, uh, try and cover as much, much uh, as we can. The, uh, before we get started this morning, though, are there any other announcements or prayer requests? I have been given one, but are there any others? All right, it is a rainy, dreary day. My guess is we'll have several more trickle in, but uh, we've got handouts coming around, so if you'll just be patient... The good brothers that are helping me hand them out will be with you. If you haven't got a handout, raise your hand. I think they'll get one to you. I was given a note this morning. Uh, George and Virginia Jones uh, are not doing very well. They're both suffering with some health issues right now. Uh, they request a special prayer this morning, so I'm going to make sure and specifically remember them in our prayers. Um, said, uh, I think he fell several times yesterday. And so, of course, he's already confined to a wheelchair, but that just causes more issues uh, for him. She's got a severe head cold or whatever else most of us are probably dealing with, but it's knocking her out pretty much. So keep her in your prayers. Anybody else? Okay. I need a handout over there. I'm... (laughs) <laughs> All right. We got one here. We need one over here. Brother Norris needs one. Anybody else? Any other announcements? I know there's several um, Christmas or holiday parties that are scheduled. Please uh, look at those in the bulletin and uh, please make plans to attend. I know that we have, uh, as primetimers, decided to do an after-Christmas party, which I kind of like that idea because we've got so much stuff going on during the holidays, it's kind of crazy. So um, I think we're going to host the Hilltoppers and Silver Threads after Christmas for a post-Christmas party. Um, I don't know if we're re-gifting or not, George, but uh, I think that's a good idea, though. I can get rid of some stuff. Um, All right, well, let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Join me, please. Heavenly Father, we are indeed truly thankful for the many blessings we have in life. And Lord, we are thankful for this another first day of the week that we can gather together, that we can open up your Bible, we can study from it, that we can learn lessons from the miracles that Christ performed while here on this earth. And Lord, we ask that you be with us through the study. Please help us to be able to garner knowledge and and, uh, lessons from these things, to be able to live a, a more faithful and dedicated life. Lord, we ask you, especially be with those that are sick, those that are dealing with losses. Um, we know this time of year, it, it even brings it a little more close to home because of the holiday time that we usually spend with family. And Lord, we ask you to be with those that have lost loved ones and especially comfort them as only you can at this time. Lord, we ask you to be with those that are sick, those that are dealing with illnesses and, and struggles with maybe older age and uh, the issues that come with that and with the health. Lord, we ask especially be with, uh, with uh, George and Virginia Jones as they go through the struggles that they are. Please bless them, Lord. Help us to reach out to them and let them know we love them and care for them and that we are thinking and praying for them. And Lord, we know that that is a comfort in itself just to know that our fellow brethren are thinking about us. And Lord, we know that you can also offer some wonderful peace that passes our own understanding. And Lord, may you do so, and may they seek and search after you for that comfort in this time. Lord, we ask that you help them regain their normal health, if that's possible, so that they can 
join us back here for worship as well as the work that we have at Dalreda. Lord, we ask you to be with all of us. Help us not to forsake being together because it helps build each other up. Help us to look to you for guidance, for strength, for encouragement, and help us to look to you for the answers to our questions in life. And it's through your, your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm dealing, too, with a froggy throat this morning, so please forgive me if I sip on coffee while I, I talk. I thought about bringing a peppermint, but then I got this big thing in my mouth, and I just hate talking with something in my mouth. So my mama always told me not to talk with food in my mouth or candy or gum. My dad hated it. When we were kids, when we had gum in our mouths, and he looked down from the pulpit preaching, we were out there, you know, he says we were chewing it and chomping it like cows chewing cud, is what he said. And uh, so I've always had a, usually I don't chew gum during church even, just because of that. It's amazing how little things like that growing up really affect you. Um, But uh, just bear with me this morning. We are, I'm going to finish up this week for mine. Uh, I'm going to be out of town next week. Uh, Thankfully, I have talked Robert Allen into graciously covering for me. Y'all may have to bear with him next week. He'll be exhausted with the grandkids coming to town. So, uh, but I'm sure he'll do a phenomenal job next week in covering the class and finishing off this wonderful quarter of study. I have enjoyed it. It's been a, a study to me that uh, has been a little bit different. Uh, I haven't been able to do a, a somewhat of a topical slash textual. It's kind of a combination of the two, which I kind of like that. Uh, a lot of times in our classes, I think we've dealt with really just textual uh, lessons. But uh, this one, being the miracles, I've tried to conform the study to try and give us a grouping of the different miracles, as well as kind of the lessons that we can kind of gather and kind of synchronize between the different miracles that we do study. I hope that it's been beneficial to you. It has been for me. Uh, we do have handouts, and if you don't have a handout, I've got some extras here uh, that I'd be happy to try and run to you. Uh, anybody need a handout this morning? Come in. I know the rain has caused several to come in a little bit behind. Nobody? Okay, good. Oh, I see one. All right, Kathy. Um, looking at the miracles that we have this week, of course, we, we, we talk about Jesus raising the dead. And to me, y'all need a, y'all need a hand. You're just not raising your hands back here. That's all right. That's all right. No, that's all right, brother. I'm glad you made it. Um, the... Uh, Raising of the dead to me, if I was living at that time period, that would probably be the miracle to me that would make the greatest impression. Don't you think? I mean, healing the sick is pretty cool. Um, it, it would be a neat thing to see someone who was pretty much laying, you know, prostrate on the, on the bed and, you know, was just so sick they couldn't even raise their head. And all of a sudden they got up and they started waiting on you, kind of like Peter's mother-in-law did. Uh, that would be interesting, I think. But knowing full and well, this individual is dead. No breath of life whatsoever in them. And then all of a sudden, they come back to life. To me, would be probably an impact that would be beyond description. I I don't think that, you know, anybody could really give proper, uh, you know, storytelling to how that really impacted the people. Uh, the biblical accounts we have uh, of these three different miracles of Christ raising the dead, I think do pretty good justice to it. And you can kind of see the impact on it. There's a different reactions in, in different ways, and you'll see that as you read the text. Uh, some Christ says, hey, don't go, like Jairus' daughter. He says, don't go tell people just yet. And it gets back that in our, our conversation like we had several weeks ago in the parables when, when Christ really didn't want them going out and telling people yet. And the, the reaction and the reasoning would be that it just wasn't his time yet. 
is the, rea- the uh, explanation that the Lord gives in those situations. Uh, he wasn't ready for it to be just publicized, but yet he wanted to go ahead and perform that miracle for the disciples as well as for those that were nearby uh, and to uh, really show his compassion. And you see that in Jairus' daughter. You see other situations such as uh, the widow's son that was done in very much public situation. Uh, in Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus was done in a very public setting. And it was, you, you could not hide that from the individuals that saw it. So it became something of high impact on not only those who specifically saw it, but also as word spread about Christ and what he was able to perform and do. And so you see kind of the different um, reactions, the different things that occur from these miracles. And I think as you go through these different miracles, they give us several lessons uh, for us in our lives and and things to kind of challenge us. Um, as I thought about these miracles, the first thing that kind of came to mind was the fear of death. My wife, which she's not in here, I'll talk about her a little bit. Um, we were running really late, uh, so uh, we had to come in two cars. But my wife hates t- talking about dying, which I'm sure if I took a, a, a raising of hands in here, most of you would not want to talk about dying. And it either is a fear or it's just one of those topics that you just want to avoid. And as a lawyer, of course, I try to encourage, you know, it's funny, well, it's not funny, but I tell my wife sometimes, you need, to, you need to know this in case I die. So you'll know how to, to do this in the house or whatnot. She says, well, that's your job. Well, what if I die? You know, it's going to be your job. Uh, Wayne, she doesn't like me talking like that. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. We don't like talking about death in life. Uh, it is a fear of most of us, of, of the unknown, of something that we don't know. People can't come and really describe it to us. You know, I kind of wish we'd talked to Lazarus and kind of heard his you know, talking about what it was like to die. And we know for sure he died and then he came back from the dead. He was dead for four days in the tomb. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty dead. And you know, I'd like to have heard his story as to how it was and what it was like to die. You know, nowadays you hear so many stories about people said they went to the bright light, you know, and they, they, they came back and, you know, I can't help but be very skeptical uh, that they were dead or not dead or if they're just making that up. Um, you know, there's really no firm firm proof of it, that they came back from the dead. But uh, that fear kind of grabs a hold of us sometimes, unfortunately. It is something that we look at that uh, nobody likes to, um, to think about the end of their life. The Lord, though, if you look at these different uh, miracles here, the Lord didn't perceive death like we did. And I think ultimately that's going to be one of the lessons you see in these miracles for us, applicable to us even today, is the perception of what death was. And in fact, in these uh, miracles, you'll see, as, as we'll point out as we go through them, uh, several times, and t- at least two of these miracles, he talks about the fact that they're only asleep. And he does that, I believe, for a reason. And the reason is his perception of death, physical death, is so drastically different than what his uh, perception of, of spiritual death would be. And so you have death being perceived by the Lord, and it is something that we can really take from and realize that these individuals really are just asleep. Now, they may be, I guess, terminally asleep when it comes to the physical sleep. You know, they're not going to wake up again and live the physical life again. But the Lord and his, his talking, he, he calls it sleep for a reason. He's not just being dumb about it. You know, he, he's using that figurative language for a reason in these miracles. And I believe the reason is that's his perception. That's what we see of the, of the spiritual perception of what physical death is. And I think that tells us volumes about death's temporal effect on our souls and instead focuses on helping and develop faith instead of fear in these situations. That's what the Lord's focusing on doing. 
He doesn't want to instill fear. He wants to instill faith. And that's why you see his reaction is, I believe, in these miracles, what they are. These three miracles, though, we'll see as he raised up the dead to life again, helped instill this deeper understanding of life and love in the disciples. And quite literally, he raised up the faith of others by showing his love and power in these miracles. All along this whole study of miracles, we've talked about what the purpose of miracles are, and that is to show the power and the authority that Christ had so that others would listen to him, that his teachings would mean something, that the things that he proclaimed to them and prophesied about would be taken seriously. That's what miracles were for. It's not just to heal the sick. It was not just to make the the lame to walk again or the blind to see or even the dead to rise. The miracles had a distinctive purpose and that purpose undergirded the whole fundamental uh, power of God and the authority of God. So that whenever you saw Christ walking around and teaching, when he sat upon the Mount of Olives and did the Sermon on the Mount, it meant something. Why? Because he had the power, he had the authority, and you got to listen to him. Reminds me of, of when God, or the Spirit of God, descended from heaven in, in the form like a dove. By the way, I don't believe it was actual dove. Uh, if you look at that, it's a simile. It's a comparative language. It looked like that. What it really was, I don't know. But it appeared, coming from heaven as a dove, onto Christ. And what did, what did God say from the heavens? This is my beloved Son. One time he said, in whom I'm well pleased. What was the last part, though? There's three words. Right. Hear ye him. Why? Because what he says, what he does, comes from me. He has my power and he has my authority. That's what it underscores. That's what the miracles of Christ are all there for. And as you think about this miracle dealing with raising of the dead, you can't help but understand the supreme, wonderful power that God actually does have and that Christ was able to show while he walked on this earth. Look with me. Let's go ahead and read these three, these three miracles. Um, I'm going to try and read through the first two rather quickly, and I'd like to get to raising Lazarus and maybe dwell more on that. It's one of my favorites compared to the other two. I hate to take sides on these miracles, but you don't have time to really thoroughly hit all of them when you group them together like I've had to do. But let's look at these miracles uh, this morning here. Let's start off with the raising of the widow's son. If you want to look in your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. If you want to follow along, it'll also be on the screen up there. Uh, But it says there, starting in verse 11, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the beer, the buyer, which was the coffin, by the way, touched the coffin, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, Fear seized upon them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread to the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding county. Or country, sorry. Look at the next, the next miracle, raising Jairus' daughter. You look at, uh, this is over in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. There's a little bit of an interlude between these, and it's a miracle we haven't been able to get to yet, unfortunately, this quarter. 
uh, and I don't think we'll be able to, uh, if, if Robert does, you know, what my suggested topic for next week, I don't think he'll get to this one because it's really off the beaten path compared to that one. But in the middle of this one is an interlude uh, with regard to the lady who touches the hem of Jesus' cloak or garment. Do you remember that? Uh, that miracle occurs here in Luke chapter 8 between verses 43 through 48. And as Jesus is, of course, going through the crowd, this multitude, they're pushing up on him or whatnot, she reaches out and in her mind she says, if I only touch his, the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And in fact, she touched it. The power went from Christ. It healed her of that infirmity. And of course, Christ felt it. He stops it. You'll see there in the interlude. I don't want you to break up our reading, though, and read that little story. So that's why I'm telling you it right now. I want us to focus on the raising of the dead, okay? So go back, read that story later. It's a great uh, miracle story there in the middle of this one uh, here in Luke chapter 8. But look with me at the raising, the raising of Jairus' daughter here, starting in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Verse 49. By the way, the in-between there, they kind of push on him. They, they delay him to the point where he's not able to go to that house right away, straight away. So therefore, uh, the daughter does die. So in verse 49, while he, that would be Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your, <clears throat> your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called and saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and and he directed that someone should be, and something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Then I want to look at raising Lazarus real quick. And then we're going to discuss these miracles uh, as they kind of go. And, and we'll be able to hopefully make some comments about each one of them. But look at the miracle of raising Lazarus. It's 46 verses long. So look in John chapter 11 verses 1 through 46. To me it's a wonderful story. Uh, of love, and it shows, I believe, the personality and the humanity of Christ more so than any other place in the Bible that I know of, um, even, even at the cross. And, and I'm not saying that I, he doesn't show humanity or, or uh, personality at the cross, but um, you don't see his interaction necessarily at the cross as much as I think you see it here and how he's impacted uh, by those uh, that are, are, are suffering around him, not himself. But look with me, John chapter 11, verse, starting there in verse 1, here dealing with the raising of Lazarus. And um, it says, verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the, the village, of, uh, village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you, 
going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her, that would be Mary, by the way, in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly... And go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
you know, the last two, the last two verses show a bit of an impact. I'm not going to read 45 and 46 uh, for this. But, you know, I, I can't help but read that story and be honestly, I was a little emotionally uh, connected. Um, you know, I, I thought about the Lord's reaction as he approached these people who he loved. And it was hard for me to not see how much Jesus cared for these people. And then, I, of course, I can't help but symbolize and parallel that to my life and to me. Jesus didn't have a, um, I mean, he didn't stay in our home. Uh, he didn't sit down and have meals with me and my wife and my family. And, you know, he, he may not have had necessarily the personal interaction that he had with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But I can't help but want to have that kind of relationship with him, you know, that you see here in this passage of Scripture. When he came upon them there in Bethany, or actually outside of, of Bethany, and he saw the intense emotion that they had, you see the reaction that he had. And it wasn't just John eleven thirty five, 35, the verse we all love to quote and, and talk about being the shortest verse, you know, in the English Bible, Jesus wept. It's, that's just not it. I mean, that is it, but it's not it. There's two times in this passage of Scripture where it talks about that he was moved, that he was deeply moved. And it's not just seeing Mary, Martha, and their distraught and their emotional state, but it actually says that he saw the Jews that were with them. And it moved him. It didn't move him just to compassion, but it moved him to tears. And what is amazing to me as you look at this miracle of Christ here in raising Lazarus is it is a, a miracle that he knew he was going to perform. He knew before he ever got there. He said, don't you remember what he said to the disciples? You know, he's asleep, but he's not asleep for long, pretty much. He's asleep so that the, the Lord may be glorified, so that God may be glorified. So he knew before he went there that he was going to perform this miracle. So I, I love the, I guess, the dynamics of that, the humanity that you see in the Lord and his reaction to those around him, mourning and saddened because they loved Lazarus so much. And when he passed away, he could not help but be personally affected and emotionally connected to those people who had lost someone that they loved. And, and to me, I, I, I guess I, I can't help but say that's what I want to imagine the connection that I have with Christ to be. That's what I want. And I would hope maybe you all feel the same way as well, that, that you see and that you feel the love that Jesus has for us. And I, I know we so haphazardly quote verses. And the verse John three sixteen is, I think, thrown around probably so haphazardly sometimes without really understanding and thinking and contemplating the true meaning of that verse. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that same love of God in giving his own son is the same love that Jesus showed to the people there. Of the close connection, the intimate love that he had for Lazarus when he died. And the intimate love he had for those who cared for Lazarus. That he loves us. He cares for us. And it is to me very an amazing, amazing point and, and obviously something that I wanted to at least throw out there this morning. Real quickly, a couple of points. Raising the widow's son, 
uh, during the first uh, year of the Lord's ministry, you see this uh, raising occurring uh, here when he raises the widow's son from the dead. Real quickly, in this story, you see a couple things. One, you see the meeting. You see the fact that the crowd with the widow uh, met the crowd with Jesus. Death, in essence, met life. And I think that's a very interesting thing to think about. The Lord came into the city. He approached this, these people who were with this slain or this dead boy in the coffin. They were actually it's like a funeral procession. Uh, they were carrying him in the coffin. And when they came into the town, Jesus had a large crowd, it says, following him. And also the boy and his family had a crowd with them from the city. Uh, mourning, weeping, thinking about this dead boy. And in true and in reality, you see the idea that death met up with life there at the city. And Christ, of course, was able to show that life would prevail. You see the sorrow in this one. Of course, the widow had lost her only son. She had lost, of course, her husband before. She wouldn't be a widow otherwise. And now the only son that she had died. She was all alone. Uh, A lot of us could possibly put ourselves in her shoes in the way that we feel sometimes. Maybe we're not technically all alone, but we feel we're all alone sometimes. And that's the sorrow that she felt here as she had lost the only remaining family member that would make her feel that she was a part of something. And of course, Christ herself, I mean himself, as she uh, was, was in sorrow, as she was in mourning, exceedingly sad here in the scriptures, we see the compassion that he had for her. He didn't shun sorrow. I think that's interesting. A lot of us don't know how to deal with people who are mourning. I think growing up as a, as a preacher's son, I'm very thankful that I had that because we don't always understand, I don't think, how to approach or just to be there with somebody. We always think we've got to have something to say. Uh, we've got to do something. But in reality, just to let you know, dealing with those who are in sorrow, it, you can just be there. Uh, you know, give them a hand to hold or a shoulder to, to lay on or a, a hug to, you know, to have there to comfort. You don't have to say or do much else. Uh, when you deal with that. I thankfully learned those lessons as being a child even. And so being around those who are sorrow, or who are experiencing sorrow, who are mourning, isn't something that, that scares me. It doesn't intimidate me. Uh, but that's not the case for most of us. Most of us are intimidated by that. And Jesus, though, he was not. Jesus did not shun those who were in sorrow. In fact, he uh, embraced them. He went to them. He, he touched them. He came near to them. He showed his love, his compassion to them. And in essence, he really spoke to her heart when he said, do not weep. Jim. No doubt. Yeah, and it kind of is a parallel, I think, to the, the idea of the New Testament concept of being a widow indeed. Uh, I don't know if y'all you know, have studied that passage much at, at else, but uh, you know, the idea of us taking care of those who are widows is, is very important because they don't have anybody else. They don't sometimes even have means of financial support, physical support. And you're right, she was probably kind of feeling that way uh, with the loss of her only son. Christ had compassion on her. And then you also see in this passage here the power, though, that Jesus, of course, showed here. The crowd stopped. He told the dead boy to arise, and immediately he, he sat up. He was restored physically. He was then given back life. He sat up and talked. But he was also restored positionally. And what do I mean by that? In the passage of Scripture, what you see is not only did he sit up and, walk and talk, but Christ then gave him back to his mother and, in fact, blessed her by him being risen uh, from the dead. It is not just the fact that he was raised from the dead, but it's the fact that this mother, again, regained her son and was able to uh, see the power of Jesus 
as he raised him from the dead there. Fear became praise. Praise became action. And uh, in, this, in this passage of scripture here, the good news of mercy and power could not be kept in themselves. And you see it spreading like wildfire, uh, going through all the country, it says there. Uh, so in essence, the fear, the, 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 the fear of death, the fear of being alone, the fear of not having your family anymore was replaced because of faith. And, our, and because of praise, praise then became the action uh, that uh, was able to be pushed forth there as others saw, others glorified God, others uh, gained a belief that Jesus was in fact the Son of God there. Look real quickly at the raising of Jairus' daughter. We read the scriptures already, but a couple points that I wanted to make about that. Uh, you see here... Uh, with respect to that, while the Lord taught in the synagogue, of course, this is when Jairus came and pled uh, for his dying daughter. Uh, she, was not, she was not able to be saved before she died, though. And in this uh, story, I think you see a couple of points. One, you see the perseverance. The Lord indicated that fear should be overtaken by belief. In Mark chapter 5, verse 36, the idea of don't be afraid. You know, she will... She will rise, she really pretty much told him, don't be scared, don't be fearful, Jairus, because she will be okay. And of course, at that time, he didn't probably understand or comprehend what in fact does this man mean. I mean, this, his daughter had just died. He had been given the news by somebody else that this, his daughter had died. So how in the world could she be okay? How could she, you know, be fine? But in fact, you see, as you go on, the perception that Christ gives uh, gives us the insight as to why she could be fine. And that's the idea that Christ views death differently. Uh, there's a unique uh, view about physical death here conveyed by Christ. It's merely sleep. There will be an awakening is what Christ really was saying to him. You know, we know what sleep is. We understand that concept, right? We know what it means to go take a Sunday afternoon nap on a rainy day, right? At least I hope to understand that this afternoon. You know, we know what that means because why? We're going to wake back up. That's what our hope, our anticipation, our understanding, our belief is. When we lay down on the pillow to take a short nap or on the couch or in our recliner, we're going to wake back up from the sleep. Well, here is a spiritual comparison here. Christ says this girl is just asleep and no way she died. No, she's, she's not dead in a spiritual sense. There's only one spiritual death, by the way. You think about it. The scriptures talk about one spiritual death. Remember, Christ said, don't fear those who can destroy the body. Fear those who can destroy the soul. There's one spiritual death. Christ says, this, this girl is not dead. She's asleep. I like the reaction. Well, I don't like it. I think it's interesting. When you see the reaction of those who are around the house, you know, they kind of gather. You kind of, in your minds, think about a family in mourning, dealing with the loss of someone they love. And you have this group around you. And Christ says this out loud to them. She's only asleep. He hadn't even seen the girl yet. And they laughed. They laughed. Kind of reminds me, who's going to get the last laugh? (laughs) You know, because it wasn't them. It was Christ. Because Christ was right. Christ went in that house, proved them all wrong, and showed us that, in fact, death is not death to him. Death is only sleep. And there will be an awakening. The power we see also in this parable, on this par- there we go. I don't, don't go one lesson without calling a, par- a miracle a parable. The power that is seen in this miracle is, of course, the same power that we have seen time and time and time again throughout Christ's ministry and the miracles. His power is seen here where he goes in, 
Others were not allowed to go in with him. So in essence, he's controlling the situation. He wants to make sure only those who need to see the miracle see the miracle. But he goes in there, only Peter, James, and John. And you wonder why those became cornerstones of the early church. You kind of see that, I think, as you go on through uh, Christ's ministry. Those are ones that were his right-hand men. They were there with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there with him here in the house of Jairus as that he went in and, and he healed his daughter or brought her back to life. Peter, James, and John went in, and of course, mom and dad went in with him into the house. And they are the only ones that perceived this miracle that Christ performed there. He went in, of course. Uh, he reached out to her, told her to rise, and she lived. I like the way that this power is also conveyed in this passage of Scripture because it's a power that shows that there is a, a reunification a restoration, so to speak, of the, of the spirit and the body being put back to one. Because there in the passage of Scripture, you see in verse 55, it says not only was she raised, but her spirit came back to her. So I think that's a very intriguing passage. I, think, I believe from my research, that that's the only time that phrasing is used in the Bible as you talk about the fact that, that at death, it appears your spirit leaves your body. Now, of course, that we, we talk about that hypothetically, but here in this passage, it literally says the spirit came back to her body, came back to her. And so there's obviously some separation there we see in the passage of Scripture here. But the power of God, the power that Christ had within him was able to reunify them and bring the spirit back to the body and allow the little girl to live. Uh, this miracle, I think, just epitomizes and shows the power and the control that Christ had there uh, to bring back uh, the dead to the living. Raising of Lazarus, and of course we've only got a few minutes left here, but this is, I think, one of my favorite miracles. I wanted to, to read it in its entirety because I think it's very, it's got a, a big impact. As I was reading it, I thought, I can't help but read all 46 verses. Uh, there's not a lot of times when you don't read uh, that, that many verses, but I wanted to read it to you because sometimes we don't always get, the, I think, the full picture, and I wanted that to be conveyed. Robert. Can't grasp it.
Perfect. Um, I don't know if y'all are all able to hear Robert and his comment, but what he says is exactly true. And it gets to the it gets to some of the lessons that I never get to in class. They're in your handouts, thankfully, so you got them there for you. But the idea that, first of all, we're all going to experience a resurrection, just to let you know. Good, bad, ugly, whatever you are, whenever you die on this earth, one day we're all going to be resurrected. The question is, is where are we going to go when we're resurrected? And I think that this, this miracle gives us the insight that, first of all, God has the power, and of course, also that it will happen. Because uh, he gives us the, the kind of the idea, the analogy there. If we follow Christ, according to what he says in John 11, he's the resurrection, he's the life. And if we believe, we're going to be able to go to him because he is the true resurrection. We're going to be able to follow him and go after him. Uh, I 100% think that that has got to be our focus. And you're right. All too often, just like every person in these stories, and Mary, really Mary and Martha are more so, I think, a good example of that. I think a good point you made was the fact like Jairus, he thought that if if Christ had been there before she died, he could have saved her. But then, of course, you know, the the word that came from his house is, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. It's kind of like, hey, he can't do anything anymore. Right. They hadn't seen him raise the dead. That's what the bottom line became. They had not seen that. They had they had heard stories. They perhaps had had experienced it even firsthand, seen him raise the dead or heal the sick. They had seen that, so they knew that was feasible, but they didn't necessarily know he could raise the dead. They couldn't grasp that in their minds because all they focus on is the physical. And you're right, Robert, way too many times that's what our focus is, and it is so much. You know, I have no problem praying for people who are dealing with sicknesses or in the hospital to get better. I think, I think we have a perfect right to do so. We have a right to approach God, ask him to heal them. If I'm laying sick in a bed, I want to be healed. Why? Because I want to continue my life here on this earth. Now, the question is, why do we want to continue life on this earth? That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's what we always forget, I think, when we start praying. Because we're all so concerned about us dealing with sickness or pain or suffering. And we forget the bigger picture of things is there's something much, much more to life than living. Let me say that again. There's much, 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 much more to life than just living. And if we don't understand that, we have missed every point in principle of the New Testament. And more so than that, we have missed, I think, the principles that Christ himself has shown us in the miracles. The raising of Lazarus, I think, underscores that more so than anything else. It's not that Lazarus needed to be raised up to, to live a successful life. It didn't matter. He could die, and hopefully he was going to be the Lord in his death. That wasn't it. You see, what undergirds the point of the the miracle of Lazarus being raised is the fact that Christ wanted to instill in them belief and an understanding that it's much, much, much more than just living. It's believing. It's having faith. It's allowing that faith to take hold of us and cause us to take action in life, to do something with our lives. When he talks to Martha and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but, but through me. And then he looks and he turns to Mary. And Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died, Lord. And Jesus says, your brother's going to live again. He's going to live again. Real quick, Robert, real quick question, comment.
Yeah. In all honesty, our focus should be, I want to go be with God. As much as I love my wife, as much as I love my two darling daughters who can be trying at times. They can be the sweetest little angels, though, at times. As much as I love them and want to be around them, as much as I love you at Dalreda, as much as I want to be a part of the family here at Dalreda, you know what? I really want to be with God. That's what I try to remind myself on a daily basis, and that's what we should all remember. And that's why in the end, when we die, yes, it's sad. And much like Lazarus and his, his family and his friends that mourned him and were sad that he left, we, we can be sad. There's nothing wrong with missing those that we love and that have gone on. But that should not ever overcome our focus on wanting to be with God in the end. That when we are resurrected, where are we going to be? Where are we going to stand in life? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. There's more to life, much, much, much more to life than really just living. I appreciate y'all's kind attention this quarter and especially your comments and your questions and your encouragement. I appreciate it so very much. Robert's going to finish out next week this quarter of study on the miracles. But thank you for being here, for studying with me, and hopefully you've gotten something out of this like I have. I appreciate it. Thank you.